Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan, and we are back with Rob Yates, Communications Director of the North Carolina Libertarian Party, and Dee Watson, Political and Policy Director for the Libertarian Libertarian Party of North Carolina. It is an honor and privilege to have you both as guests on Freedom Forum Radio. You know, really the part of that that's most important is the personal responsibility. That's what, that's what it really comes down to, because legalizing all drugs, that is not the issue. It's the issue that what does that do to people and who has to pay for what that does to people? Uh, and that's what be, where that becomes an issue. Uh, there are a lot of things that are personal decisions. And as far as I'm concerned, you can make whatever personal decision you want, but you are the one, once you make that decision, who has to pay the price for the decision. Yep. Yep. Uh, is, isn't that a libertarian principle? Absolutely. What do you say, Rob? I mean, I don't think there's anything more core to to our philosophy. Like that that's one of the foundational pillars again. But these things, these they expand too when done right. So when you start talking about bodily autonomy and and we get that pushback. Like, so you just want to legalize all drugs? And like that's that's the complete wrong way to look at it. It's not just about the bodily autonomy and the personal responsibility and the accountability for what you do. It's also look at the practicality of impact. So for one, criminal justice reform across the board is something that I think is becoming more and more prominent for the LPNC in particular. Um, You're seeing rising crime rates and the inability of police to counteract them in certain places. And in other places, Gastonia in particular, you essentially have like a Gestapo police force that just does whatever it wants. They've And there's stuff on our website, there's stuff in the newsletter, but they've gone to war with the homeless and it's sad. And it's, it's sad. I mean, it's really sad, but when you, for example, legalize marijuana, you now eliminate the danger that police who are also humans with husbands and wives and children and siblings and parents, like they're all people they're placed in situations now where they're running up in someone's house because they smell pot and their lives are on the line. You're creating this potential for severe outcomes of conflict over somebody getting high in their basement. Then you have people who 
for example, Charlotte is is one of the banking centers of, of the world. And there are, I mean, I, I worked at some of those big banks and maybe you would be surprised, maybe you wouldn't, but some of the degrees of recreational substances that go around, but none of them are worried. They can all afford high-priced lawyers. So what you're doing is taxing the poor, keeping the poor in prisons, putting cops in danger, and all of this because you, these officials feel the need to try to govern what somebody does in his or her own time. Like, it, it's preposterous. Just take away the entire principle that you can enter someone's house and dictate that person's behavior, as long as they're not harming someone else, and all of these problems start to disappear. So, I mean, that I've obviously I've I've heard that argument a lot, and and, and I and I believe that it's true because when you look, and and I think that's another part of libertarian principles is that you also have to look at what the secondary, third, tertiary uh, effects of every policy are because you can make one rule and have ten bad things happen as a result. Yep. And that's what happens when you look at the war on drugs. What you're looking at is all of the costs which we as taxpayers are now forced to bear to prevent someone from, as you put it, getting high in their basement. Uh, and and that's that's where I think most people, if it were explained properly to them, might have a slightly different idea about it. Yeah, I agree, but we the the popular messaging is something so different and it's hard to combat coming back to the vaccine stuff too. Like that, that's what really got me active lately. Cause it was like, I, I perhaps have some different viewpoints than what was then the popular opinion on this, but what was much more concerning is the fact that like, you weren't allowed to say anything like, like when a descending viewpoint is being shut down. Now you have a government sponsored narrative that's what the war was on drugs was. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? I still have the frying egg t-shirt upstairs. Um, <laughs> but meanwhile, you don't see, like, like, there's always, you follow the money, I suppose is the way to put it. I also remember, I mean, similar time frame, like my high school, college years, there was, there was a bigger push to prevent drinking and driving accidents. And you don't see messaging around that anymore. Meanwhile, the messaging has shifted to this sort of split of fentanyl is going to kill the entire population and everyone on fentanyl is either overdosing or crazy and going to rob you. And also the opiate crisis is a corporate creation. And then now it's not like, I don't know that that narrative just seemed to shift real fast too. And the fact of the matter is we are dealing with, I think probably an opiate addiction crisis at this point. I don't know that it's a major crisis, but well, I think there's 100,000 overdose deaths last year. That seems like a big number. Um, a lot of it probably COVID disparity, too. We did sort of throw the world into an existential crisis. But you want to talk about fentanyl deaths because that's the first thing people say. Are you for legalizing drugs? Well, I'm, I'm opposed to the idea that the government should be able to tell you what you can and put, can't put in your body. So, yes, I suppose. Well, what about fentanyl? So I'm like, all right, here's the compromise. You want to keep fentanyl illegal and make everything else just take it off the books. It's not going to be a problem because most people using fentanyl are only doing so because they're buying illicit street drugs from street chemists that are laced with fentanyl. There's no sort of market. There's no sort of oversight whatsoever. And it's not that I'm advocating for more oversight, but 
the difference between being able to go to Walgreens, for example, and get some sort of opiate to deal with an addiction is very, very different than, you know, calling up your drug dealer and showing up at one in the morning in some shady spot and buying something in aluminum foil that you go home and cook in a spoon. Um, I, I mean, our, our attempts, and this is for all prohibition, but our attempts to mandate these problems out of existence has only exacerbated the problems. And then the the most illogical and counterintuitive thing is like, hey, this failed miserably. Why don't we double down and try harder on that now that the problem's gotten worse? Yeah, I think you see that. This is Dr. Dan, and we are back with Rob Yates, Communications Director of the North Carolina Libertarian Party, and Dee Watson, Political and Policy Director for the Libertarian, Libertarian Party of North Carolina. It is an honor and privilege to have you both as guests on Freedom Forum Radio. Well, obviously, what we're talking about again is prohibition back uh, in the early uh, 20th century. Uh, it obviously failed, but uh, the, the country at that point was smart enough to say that policy did not work. We're getting rid of it. Uh, and so, again, what you're saying here is we have policies. They are obviously not working. Uh, but instead of trying to figure out a better way of handling it, uh, we're just making things worse. Um, so what other what are and, and this really is is I think when I when I think about the Libertarian Party, I, I basically think about the Bill of Rights because that really is the most libertarian document that we have as part of our of our we would love pardon? We would love to see it enforced. Like that's right. a good start. Uh, word <laughs> word for word. Word for word, I want it enforced. Especially the shall not be infringed period part of the Absolutely. Second Amendment. So what we're talking about here is natural law rights, which we have by dint of being in existence. Whether you feel they're divine rights or they're whatever, wherever they came from, these are rights that individuals have because they are alive, because they have are have become alive. That they're not rights that government gives them. As as one of my stickers on my refrigerator says, freedom is not a government program. And and so that's really what we're dealing with in libertarian principle, isn't it? The fact that we have rights, and that goes from judicial rights and all kinds of rights, that the government has no business trying to take away, amend, abolish, or get rid of in any way. Yeah, I mean, no argument here, none whatsoever on that part. Actually, you mentioned the natural law part, and I, I, I certainly subscribe to that. And without making assumptions, D, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But I also think there's a, a practical, logical support for the primacy of individual rights. And I've, I've been really getting into that because you've seen sort of this ultra leftist, crudely called woke, but it, it's really a postmodernist spin on a lot of these things and the subjective view of reality and power structures. And I think it's important to point out that when government officials, elected officials are simply incentivized to keep getting elected and, and that's their end, it always justifies the means. Then they will do what it takes to keep getting elected. 
And so when you empower them to quote unquote solve problems, one, they're going to create problems so that they can, you know, have the have the bandwidth or the permission, as it were, to solve them again, solve sort of in quotes. And and they'll also distract from the fact that they're failing. So they're going to create an enemy. This is, I think, a 100% always, this will be the consequence of, of the way we have elections. And so they demonize the other side. And so they will take away any rights that they see fit as long as it enables them to keep getting elected in their pursuit to either demonize the other side or hoard their own power. If you eliminate the ability of the government to restrict individual rights and, and give this primacy to individual rights and forget this collectivist nonsense of, you know, finding solutions and like, oh, hate speech isn't protected speech. Like it, it's the most protected speech. It is absolutely protected speech. You don't get to decide what's protected speech and what isn't. And that's just one example, but you don't need to rely on the the natural rights or the natural law argument as much as as I might subscribe to it. There's there's sort of a a rational look at the downside of not putting individual rights first argument as well. Well, that right. will, go ahead, Dee. So, I mean, just as a woman, um, there are individual rights that are really important, and women are physically not as strong as men. So, the right to self defense is is a, a I view it, I mean, it's a right for everybody, but it's a right for women in particular. I went to um, school in New York, and there was a serial killer who would rape and asphyxiate women, um, and about nine women were died. If we had been given the right to self-defense and given, like, the great equalizer, which would be a weapon— allowed to carry it around on campus, it would have ended the problem. But instead, we were like sitting ducks and we had to have escorts. And this went on for years and years and years. And and you're just like a sitting duck. And the problem is that government organizations, when they go to help solve a problem, nobody can keep you safe. They couldn't keep those women safe. We, they kept dying. Okay. But all we needed was our individual rights to protect us. And the same thing with free speech. The government can never protect you against hate speech. The protection you have against hate speech is your own voice, right? So if you say something I find hateful, I have the right to disagree with you. It's really that simple. Individual rights are the end all and be all. And the government will never be effective in controlling you, uh, sorry, in protecting you from these things. You are your best protector. And we just firmly believe that. Well, that's all part of the natural law right package. Uh, and like I said, to come back to it, the Bill of Rights is about is a very close close to being a perfect document of what those rights are. Uh, and it is to our misery and to our detriment that we are not following the Bill of Rights in so many instances. And you so, mentioned hate hate speech. I mean, there's hate speech is definitely protected speech. Uh, my parents raised me saying sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Well, you know, if I don't like what someone's saying about me, I can either talk to them back or turn around and walk away. I don't have to subject myself to things that I find objectionable. Uh, how about some of the other things, other issues and problems in our nation that uh, libertarians have solutions for? How about, for instance, healthcare? So in North Carolina, there's a lot of problems with healthcare. Um, so my opponent in this case, it's it's just so regulated. And I don't think people understand how these regulations are harming people. Um, I actually had a 
Democratic opponent who was for common sense health care reform. And because she was a nurse practitioner and she knew that there's so much oversight where a doctor, you just have to pay a doctor to oversign a nurse practitioner. And it just is costing money because like she has to pay somebody and then everything in the end gets passed on to the consumer. And it's just really not necessary and wasn't doing anything. So she has um, legislation but it gets stopped. And the reason it gets stopped is because of lobbyists. You were talking earlier about money. It's not just money of individuals. It's these huge lobbyist organizations and professional organizations and hospital organizations. And it it's unbelievable to me how even a Democrat who is trying to get regulatory reform in on a bill that the John Locke Foundation is for, can't get it brought up for a vote because of lobbyists. And it's happening over and over and over again. And I don't think people understand how much of this is going on. I mean, I could talk for an hour about certificate of need laws. Um, That's what I was going <laughs> to Yeah, I can, I, can, I can vouch for that as well. Yeah. But basically, the problem is I think there's a free market. There is no free market for health care in any state. And there certainly is not in North Carolina. Government has a monopoly on health care and it, it, it crushes comp- competition. And because of that, um, you don't get these price reductions. Um, if you wanted to People a lot of times say, well, if we didn't have this and this and this, how would we possibly afford it? And what I would say is if you talk about something that has a lot less regulation on its veterinary care, there's still some regulation, but it's, it's much less. Typically, my dog needed a surgery, and the vet told me it would be $2,400. And he said, I know it's a lot of money. And I said, oh, no, I looked at how much it is in the hospital. It's 80000 That's the kind of... <laughs> That's the kind yeah. of amplification you're getting. You'd be like, well, I couldn't afford 2,400, but you think, I mean, on a human, the same surgery, which is yeah. actually easier on a human being is $80,000. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a ligament repair and a knee. You can go to Thailand and get it done for five grand. Yeah. <laughs> so healthcare just could be so much more affordable if we actually had a free market. And this is something that people aren't understanding. And there's all kinds of problems with Medicaid. They don't understand how every Medicaid patient, there's multiple rates in a hospital. There's no price price transparency in a hospital. When you go into a hospital, I challenge you to find out ahead of time all the costs that are going to be incurred because the hospital is charging all different rates for different groups. Okay. Um, And basically what's happening is every time you go into a hospital, you're subsidizing the Medicaid patients. Hospitals lose a lot of money on Medicaid, Medicare patients, and that all has to get subsidized. So there's a lack of price transparency. There's certificate of need laws, which simple supply and demand tells you that's increasing the cost. Um, and there's just a lot of problems in the, in, the, in the hospital. So we just need a free market. And, and if we had a free market, I really think that you'd be looking at a 90% decrease in healthcare costs. Well, I think, go ahead. No. So you you also have this sort of bizarre situation where you have this hyper-regulated, overly controlled, lobbyist, dark money influenced, just massive behemoth that doesn't, like the patients are rarely put first. Not, I mean, there's some wonderful doctors, wonderful nurses. It's not to knock them. This is systemic, but it, it needs to generate money to keep going, to keep the lobbyists, you know, pumping the, the elected officials coffers full, to keep the whole system moving. 
So instead of preventative care and taking care of yourself being a prominent thing on there, I mean, did you see three days ago? Was it the the pediat the American Pediatric Association? Maybe it was the CDC, but talking about twelve year olds need weight loss interventions now, use medicines and surgery like like even like twelve year old weight loss surgery. That's ridiculous. Get a soccer ball. I, I mean, that's insane. But this is this is what they're pushing now. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything going to be all right this morning.